welcome to Catholic Radio Indy's Lunchtime Podcast Sampler. I'm Kent Blanford. Each week, we'll bring you a sampling of some of the best Catholic podcasts being prepared and shared out there on the internet. Do you believe in miracles and apparitions? Our first offering on today's sampler comes from the American Catholic History Podcast. It's the story of how in the 1620s, a Native American community in what later became Texas were evangelized by a mysterious lady in blue. Tom and Noel Crow tell the story of how a Spanish nun, Mary of Agreda, miraculously visited Yamanos without leaving her Spanish monastery 5,000 miles away. Hello and welcome to American Catholic History, brought to you by the support of listeners like you. If you value this content, please become a supporter at AmericanCatholicHistory.org slash support. I'm Noelle Heaster-Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Thank you once again to our supporters. Your support really means a lot to us. Writing and producing each episode takes quite a bit of time. And as we separate from StarQuest Production Network, we need your support more than ever. Yes, we've loved our time with SQPN. They are great people, friends, and we wish them great success. Setting off on our own, but it just gives us added flexibility and kind of opens up new possibilities. But it does bring with us with it some added expenses. So we're going to have to take on a lot of responsibilities for editing and production and dissemination. So, you know, some extra expenses there. Mm -hmm, Exactly. We need to pay somebody to do those things for us now, um, which SQPN was providing for us before. By the way, I... I at least might pop up on SQPN every now and then in the secrets of movies and TV shows. I've done a couple episodes with them. Maybe Tom will show up one day someplace yeah, else. Yeah, absolutely. Who knows? We'll hopefully still be working with them. But this is where a new cost that we have as we separate from SQPN. This is where you come in. Your support will make things like video content, like the audio editing that we need to do now on our own, the expanded merchandise selections that we that we have, and new items like the children's book we've been talking about for a few years now of uh, of doing well your support will actually hopefully make that possible yeah we are really excited about what this new chapter will bring but it really is only possible with your support so please find our support levels and the perks offered at americancatholichistory.org support and then join us via patreon or locals also thank you for the reviews you leave on apple and especially the five-star ratings they help others find us yes so all that said on with the show Today, we're talking about the first missionary evangelist in Texas. But there's only one problem. She never actually visited Texas. Yeah, and I absolutely love this story of the lady in blue and the little twist at the end. It's, a, it's kind of a twist worthy of Paul Harvey saying, and now you know the rest of the story. I'm not even going to try and do that. <laughs> uh, yeah, but we're uh, let's not jump ahead to the rest of the story just yet. You know, I'm not. I'm just, you know, looking forward. But you're right. Let's take things in stages. This story really has enough incredible moments just like last a lifetime. (laughs) Yeah, it has quite a few. So as you said, this first missionary to the natives in Texas was a European woman, but she never entered Texas. In fact, she never left Europe and she never even left Spain. Her name was Maria Coronel and she was born in a village north of Madrid in central Spain in 1602. She was a very pious young girl who experienced spiritual ecstasies from a young age and took a vow of chastity at eight years old. 
Now, that may seem impossibly young for a child to really understand what she's doing, but based on the rest of her life and the lives of her siblings and parents, it seems that the Coronel family had a, you know, a thing or two figured out. Yeah, really. Because by the time that Maria was 12, she had decided to become a nun. Her parents initially decided to take her to a Carmelite monastery, but the following year, 1615, Maria's mother Catherine heard a voice while in prayer telling her that her family castle they were very well-to-do, should itself become a monastery, that she and her two daughters should become nuns, and her husband should follow their two sons into the Franciscan order. Kind of crazy. So by 1619, when Maria was 17 years old, all of this happened. Maria's father, Francis, became a lay brother with the Franciscans. Catherine, Maria, and her sister took the veil and made perpetual religious vows the following year in 1620. Maria took the name Maria de Jesus, and since their monastery was in the town of Agreda, she later became known as Maria de Jesus de Agreda. Maria's spiritual life intensified in the convent. She had experienced spiritual ecstasies as a child, and these continued. In fact, they became more pronounced and intense. She took on significant bodily penances. She slept only about two hours each night and would rise in the middle of the night to pray the way of the cross for three hours. She took only one meal each day and lived a life of pure obedience to God's will. Her ecstasies began to include trance-like states and levitation. She would rise off the ground and become so light that a slight breeze would blow her across the room. Now, her fellow nuns became very skeptical of her manifestations, and a priest was sent to investigate her behavior. He tested her in every way. He gave her tests of obedience and asked her pointed questions. At the end, he determined that her ecstasies were genuine and that she really was a model of Christian obedience. After that, her sisters warmed up to her. Eventually, in 1625, her monastery elected her abbess. But the Vatican had to give a special dispensation because she was not yet 25 years old. She held that position until her death in 1665. But let's go back to the decade of the 1620s. Yes, one of these supernatural abilities she began to manifest in 1620 was bilocation. Bilocation is the ability for a person to be physically in one place, but also to be in some way, in another place at the same time. A number of saints have enjoyed this ability over the centuries. We actually talked in a previous episode about Padre Pio bilocating and flying during World War II, and more than a few American soldiers and airmen attested to seeing him do so. Well, Maria de Jesus de Agreda bilocated to west-central Texas, where the Humano people lived. Why there? Well, why not there? Well, maybe the Humano people were uniquely predisposed to accept the message of Christ. And since Spanish missionaries were not too far away by the 1620s, the Lord sent Sister Maria to catechize them. Yeah, it's possible. I mean, who knows why? But in 1620, Sister Maria began visiting the Humano people and telling them about Jesus and the Catholic faith. Interestingly, 1620 is also the year the pilgrims landed at Plymouth Rock over in Massachusetts. Yeah, and since there are no pure coincidences in the providence of God, that accident of timing is very interesting to me. It's kind of a, like, you know, God saying, well, here come the Protestants, so let's bolster the Catholic presence elsewhere on this continent. Yes, but also remember that Squanto had been evangelized and baptized by Spanish Franciscans, 
Without that Catholic intervention, Squanto may not have been able to help the pilgrims and, well, they may have all died that first year. So the Catholic influence was more or less coast to coast before the pilgrims set foot on Plymouth Rock. It's kind of crazy. I know, it seriously is, but we're wandering. So That's right, right. Back to Sister Maria. Yes. So over the next 10 or so years, 1620 to about 1631, she made more than 500 visits, always appearing clad in a brilliant blue cloak. In her apparitions to the Camanos, she would tend to the sick, comfort the afflicted, and teach them about Christ. This bilocation was not just as a floating figure imparting a message. She walked among them and in some ways had physical interaction with them. Yeah, and we don't understand it. It violates the laws of physics as we know them. But our faith tells us that God can do all things, including intervene in the created order. I mean, that's kind of the definition of a miracle, actually. Right. And we know from Scripture that Christ, after his resurrection, was able to pass into and out of rooms without opening a door. Sure. And Jesus' glorified body, as we call it, was not bound by earthly conventions. Think also of what we believe of the real presence in the Eucharist. Well, if a person achieves sanctity in this life... Who's to say they will not merit some qualities of the glorified body? We believe that the Blessed Mother was assumed bodily into heaven and that she has appeared multiple times since then. Like at Guadalupe in 1531, when she arranged the roses in the tilma of Juan Diego and tied it up so that his bishop should get the sign. Absolutely. And what a wonderful miracle that was. And also, you know, we mentioned Padre Pio before. At least one of the American airmen who reported seeing a flying monk up in the clouds during World War II reported not only seeing him, but reported that Padre Pio actually caught him in midair and set him safely on the ground when his parachute failed to deploy. So bilocation is a great mystery to us, but that's because our vision is still dim and limited. In the view of God and those who come to know him best, the material world is a much more complex but simple thing. And that, apparently, is what we're seeing in Maria de Jesus de Agreda. In 1631, 100 years after the apparitions in Guadalupe, Sister Maria exhorted the Humanos to send a delegation to the Isleta Pueblo in New Mexico, where they would find brown robes or Franciscan missionaries. Those missionaries would come and baptize the Humanos. She told them to bring with them a cross covered in wildflowers as a sign of their faith. So a dozen set out from near present-day San Angelo, Texas, near the confluence of the Concho River, to walk the 500 miles over harsh desert to Isleta Pueblo, which is about 13 miles south of present-day Albuquerque, New Mexico. Now, the Franciscans had been in Isleta since 1613, but they had never ventured as far east as modern-day Texas. They'd had a hard enough time evangelizing the local natives and keeping the royal authorities from exploiting those local natives. Also, if you've never been to that part of the country, it is hauntingly beautiful, but it's just not hospitable to human travel. So the Franciscans were content to just stick to the Isleta mission and its immediate surroundings for the time being. But the Jimenos did not have the luxury of staying put. The Lady in Blue bid them go, and they desired baptism in the Eucharist, so they braved the dangerous trek. You can imagine the surprise, perhaps even fear, that the Franciscans at Isleta felt when these Jimenos appeared out of the desert, professing a well-developed knowledge of Catholic doctrine and asking for baptism. How did they know the faith? 
did the French, who were already settling along the Mississippi River, somehow get into that region first? Well, the Humanos explained about the Lady in Blue, and the Franciscans, shocked as they were, eventually accepted the reality of the situation. A group of priests led by Fray Alonso Benavides returned to the Concho River site with them, where, in the Concho River, 2,000 Humanos were examined and baptized in the following weeks. The Franciscans went about establishing a mission there, though Fray Alonso did not remain. No, Fray Alonso returned to Isleta and then back to Mexico City, and then across the ocean, back to Spain, where he sought out the woman whom the natives described. Fray Alonso had heard about the ecstasies and trance-like states of Sister Maria, and he was on a mission to find out if she were the one that they were experiencing. He finally came to the monastery in Agreda and was able to interview Sister Maria. In short order, Fray Alonso became convinced that she was the Lady in Blue. She had an intimate knowledge of the landscape of the region. She even made tapestries that depicted plants distinctive to the region. She also had an intimate knowledge of the ways and customs of the people and described very particular characteristics of the Himano chiefs who had traveled to Isleta. Also, as he learned, a blue cloak was part of the habit worn by this order when they went outside. He asked her how she came to know the language spoken by the Humano, and she replied simply that she did not know it. She spoke in Spanish, and they understood. Likewise, they did not know Spanish, but she understood them perfectly. Well, if God was arranging a physical meeting of people who were more than 5,000 miles apart, I don't think he'd overlook the language barrier. Yeah, that's true. I mean, but, you know, even Zoom can't do that. (laughs) Yeah, uh, Zoom. Well, I mean, I suppose you could say it's kind of like a Zoom meeting with an auto-translate feature. But there was another awesome feature of her meeting that Zoom can't replicate, and that's the stunning final event. Right. So when Fray Alonso told Sister Maria that the Franciscans had taken up a mission with the Humanos, Sister Maria sighed contentedly and said, Now my mission with my beloved Humanos is completed. And that was the end of her bilocating to them. But her final apparition to them was not without a dramatic ending. And this is where you cue the Paul Harvey dramatic reading. Imagine me saying this in his voice, because I'm not going to try it. I'm not going to try it, but, you know, I might slip in. I'm not even going to try to say the words correct. It might slip in a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) I, as she said her farewells and turned to go, she walked off into the countryside. And legend has it that wherever her long blue cloak touched the ground, lovely blue flowers sprung up. And this was the beginning of the Texas Bluebells. And now you know the rest of the story. (laughs) Really showing my age there. (laughs) Anyhow. You know, not bad. Okay. (laughs) But we're not quite done just yet. Sister Maria de Jesus de Agrida died in 1665. She was buried, but eventually exhumed as part of the investigation into her possible canonization, and her body was found to be incorrupt. She is now venerable, and the cause for her beatification is in process. Her body is interred in a glass sarcophagus in the chapel of her monastery. The city of San Angelo, Texas, has long been aware of this deep Catholic history, and in 2018, a beautiful set of bronze statues was unveiled along the city's river walk there along the Concho River. 
One of the statues depicts Sister Maria clad in a stunning blue cloak, handing a cross to a young Humano girl. Nearby, a figure of a Humano hunter watches on. The statues were blessed by the Bishop of San Angelo in a ceremony also attended by the Bishop Emeritus, a delegate from the Vatican who is looking into Sister Maria's canonization cause, and a large number of people of Humano descent, plus local civic officials, including the mayor. Since then, the area around the statues has been beautified with a garden and a wall with an archway. Also within the last few years, a documentary called The Needle and the Thread was produced and released chronicling the work of the Lady in Blue. The producers of The Needle and the Thread hope that their work will help to promote and spread knowledge of and devotion to Sister Maria and will help advance her canonization cause. Hopefully, one day soon, the church will recognize that Maria de Jesus de Agrida, the Spanish nun and original missionary to Texas, will be known as Saint. This has been American Catholic History. If you enjoy American Catholic History, please become a supporter. Help us take the next steps with great new material. Get information on how to become a supporter and the perks at AmericanCatholicHistory.org slash support. Also on our website, sign up for our newsletter. Check out our merch, learn about the Lady in Blue, plus see about our pilgrimages. Like next year, we're going to Wisconsin and maybe back to Kentucky and find other great stories from American Catholic History. We also love the great reviews our listeners leave. Those and the five-star ratings help others find us. You can also email us feedback, questions, tips for episode topics, and other comments at feedback at AmericanCatholicHistory.org. You can find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash AmericanCatholicHistory, on Instagram at ACH underscore podcast, and follow us on Twitter at ACH1513. I'm Noel Heaster Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Thank you once again for joining us on American Catholic History, made possible by listeners like you. You're listening to the Lunchtime Podcast Sampler on Catholic Radio Indy, and we'll be serving up more right after this short break. When a business is looking to expand, they say it's all about location, location, location. But what about when the church needs to expand? To stretch out and reach those fallen away, estranged from the faith, or those who simply have never heard the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Then it's all about vocation, vocation, vocation. We need more people dedicated to the mission of serving the church, more priests, more deacons, more men and women of vowed service, and more lay workers willing to go into the fields. The harvest is rich, but the workers are few. Is God calling you to service? Pray on it, and while you're there, pray for more vocations. A simple request from your friends at Catholic Radio Indy. What is the Eucharist? What would happen if you made people the following offer? Anyone jumping around on one leg for one hour will get $100. Doubtlessly, there would be a few people signing up for this challenge. If you were to raise the reward to $1,000, certainly more contestants would show up. 
and if you were to raise the stakes to $100,000, then it would be jam-packed. Now, what do you think would happen if you offered even more than a hundred grand? And let's say people didn't even have to jump around on one leg to get it. What would happen? Well, actually this has already been tried and the result is always the same. Only a few people come. Hmm, sounds strange, but it's true. This is exactly what happens at Holy Mass. At Holy Mass, we are offered Holy Communion. And Holy Communion is worth way more than many buckets full of gold. Christ Himself is present in Holy Communion, making it priceless and infinitely precious. No jumping on one leg required. So if there's a lot of room at churches these days, then it's obviously because many Catholics have no clue of what Holy Communion actually is. They have no idea what they are missing. So, what is Holy Communion? At the Last Supper, Jesus took bread and wine and spoke the words, This is my body, and this is my blood. He didn't say that this was to be understood merely symbolically, but rather that here we truly have His body and blood. The Gospel of John, chapter 6, makes this very clear. Now, Jesus instructed the apostles to do this in memory of Him, and this is what the church does to this day. In Holy Mass, the gifts of bread and wine are transformed on the altar. The Holy Eucharist, as the gifts are called after the consecration, looks like bread and wine, tastes like it, and feels like it. But it is no longer bread and wine. It has the outward appearance of these things, but through the consecration, it has truly become the body and blood of Christ. The appearances, what is called species, stay the same, but what it is, the substance, is changed. Because of this, the transformation that happens at Mass is called transubstantiation, and the presence of Jesus under the appearance of bread and wine is called the real presence. This presence of Jesus is true and real, but its mode differs from the presence of other material things. If you divide material things, for example, bread, then you have one half on the left and the other half on the right. But if you break the host into two parts, then you haven't divided Jesus, but only the outward appearances. Jesus is, as we said before, truly and really present in the Eucharist, but not in the way the material things act. Rather, He is truly and wholly present in every part, right down to the thinnest particles, and therefore He can also be present at the same time in the whole world at every Mass. The real presence that Christ has left us in this sacrament is a great gift. He didn't have to do this, but in giving Himself to us under the appearance of something to eat and drink, He shows us that He is the one who truly nourishes us strengthens our soul, and gives us growth. Welcome back. Next up on The Sampler is a serving of the Fresh Catholic Podcast with Lori Balderas. In this episode, Lori talks about God's perfect will and His perfect timing for us and how we should surrender ourselves to Him in all things, even when we might not understand what He has planned for us. 
She also gives examples of her own life-changing moments that God orchestrated and she willingly trusted to follow. Welcome to Fresh Catholic, a podcast for those who are converting, reverting, or simply want a fresh perspective of the Catholic faith to help them to open their hearts and minds to become closer to the love and goodness of Christ. My daily prayer is that I will be a bright light to others, to be filled with the love and light of Christ, so that when people look at me, they see Him radiating out from me for His glory. Hello and welcome. I'm Lori Balderas, and I'm so happy you're here. I would like to start with this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The key phrase for this episode is, Thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this every day. I mean, at least I do. I hope you do. This is very important that today's episode is about the will of our Lord for us. What is God's plan for you? When we pray, thy will be done, do we believe it? Do we agree with it? Do we trust in it? Most of the time, I think most of us don't. I think we want our way. I think we want our will to be done. But that's not the right way. That's not what's going to ultimately fulfill us and bring happiness in our lives. I believe God has a definite plan for our lives. He has our whole life mapped out, and He tries to guide us in the right direction. But we take a different path most of the time. We want our way. Even Jesus in the garden at Gethsemane before His arrest was stressed at surrendering to His Father's will. Let me read that to you now from Luke 22. Then going out, he went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. When he arrived at the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not undergo the test. After withdrawing about a stone's throw from them and kneeling, he prayed, saying, Father, If you are willing, take this cup away from me. Still, not my will, but yours be done. And to strengthen him, an angel from heaven appeared to him. He was in such agony, and he prayed so fervently that his sweat became like drops of blood falling on the ground. This helps us to remember that Jesus was part human, and he had those stresses and those anxieties like all we humans do. But as we all know, he surrendered to his Father's will. I believe we get dazzled easily by people and things that take our eyes and gaze off of Christ. That is the beginning of our downfall, and it's a slippery slope from there. I believe God's will and plan for us is meant as a path to holiness. 
I believe God's will and plan for us includes peace, love, kindness and generosity, service to others, and reverence to our Lord. But we tend to think that it's more important to indulge our bodies, minds, and spirits. It's more important to go along with the world instead of what God's plan is. We indulge our bodies with drugs, alcohol, sex, unhealthy habits. We indulge our minds and emotions with negativity, gossip, hostility, anger, and resentments. We indulge our spirit by not attending Mass, by not doing works of mercy, by not helping and giving to the poor, by not being in service to the Lord with our lives and our gifts that He has given us. When you pray to the Lord and say, Thy will be done, do you mean it? When God shows you or guides you down a certain path, do you follow His guidance? Or do you turn around and go the other way? I know I pray every day, Lord, please light my path. Please open the doors you want me to walk through. And then I wait. I wait to see what he's guiding me to do. I keep my eyes and ears open for signs and for affirmations of what I should do next. Sometimes I wait a very long time, (laughs) but I wait nonetheless. Sometimes a door will be wide open and clearly God is saying, come this way, Lori. And I might be hesitant or I might be cautious. I might not immediately walk through the door, but that's my fault. Because if it's clearly something that I should be doing, if I hesitate or I have a fear of the unknown or of just not quite knowing what God wants me to do and I don't do it, that's a mistake. That's on me. Sometimes you have to be risky, not dangerous risky, but you have to be willing to take a risk, or maybe a better term is a leap of faith. That's a better way to see what God might have planned for you. It might not feel comfortable at first. It might not feel like something you're used to, but sometimes you have to venture down the path to see if it's in fact where he wants you to go. One of my favorite gospel readings And honestly, what prompted me to do this episode is from Luke 5. Let me read that to you now. While the crowd was pressing in on Jesus and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. He saw two boats there alongside the lake. The fishermen had disembarked and were washing their nets, getting into one of the boats the one belonging to Simon, he asked him to put out a short distance from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. After he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and lower your nets for a catch. Simon said in reply, Master, we have worked hard all night and have caught nothing, but at your command I will lower the net. When they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their nets were tearing. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come help them. They came and filled both boats so that they were in danger of sinking. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at the knees of Jesus and said, Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. 
for astonishment at the catch of the fish they had made seized him and all those with him. And likewise, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon, Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. When they brought their boats to the shore, they left everything and followed him. I love this gospel reading because just when you wrap your mind around the fact that Jesus, kind of out of nowhere, just comes in, inserts himself in their lives, literally gets into their boat without invitation, and gives them a command of what to do. And at first, of course, they're hesitant, but then they follow what he asks them to do and look at the abundance of what he provides for them. Had they not done what he said, they wouldn't know. They wouldn't have known what was going to happen. And they trusted him, and they literally dropped everything and changed their whole lives and went with him. I think it's such an inspiring gospel reading for us to all really ponder frequently. A few years ago, my husband got a job offer in Ohio, and we went for him to have an interview. While we were there, we took a few days to look around and decide if we thought we could live in the Cincinnati area. We were very willing to uproot and move if it was God's plan. If God wanted us to do that, we were very willing to do it. We would just uproot ourselves, leave our families. We would just make the best of it. Now, ultimately, this didn't happen, so we ended up staying in California. I'm not quite sure why any of that happened, but it's all for a purpose of some sort because God made it happen. And the point is, we were willing to be open to the idea of what we thought God wanted for us. And if we wouldn't have gone to check it out, then I feel we would have failed the test. (laughs) I do feel it was a test to see, are they really going to drop everything and go where I want them to go? We've actually had multiple scenarios since we've been married of things where we were needing to decide and discern if we were really supposed to do something, if it's what God wanted. Sometimes we respond in the proper way by going with God. Other times, maybe not so much. We think we know better and sometimes reject the signs that God is giving us. And when that happens, we usually learn a very hard lesson. That's what failures and falls are when you're trying to figure out what to do better next time. What was the mistake? What warning signs were there? This is how we learn. We've definitely had times where a project was supposed to happen, but for whatever reason, it wasn't happening. There were struggles, there was an unlit path, doors were not only closed, but they were locked. And then we look back later and go, oh, I see, I see. I clearly wasn't supposed to do that project. Now, on the other hand, we have a client in particular that every time he hires us to do a job, it not only happens, but it happens very quickly. It happens how it's supposed to. The doors are all wide open, and I know we're supposed to be doing these projects with him because they're always clear sailing. I just find it very fascinating. I've often wondered why God brings certain people into my life, or what's the reason? What's the purpose? 
I've had lots of friends and family members come and go. I often wonder, why were they brought into my life only to be taken away? Well, it's because they're there for a purpose. They're there, perhaps I think of them as like a stepping stone, or they're chapters in my book of my life, so to speak. Even when bad things happen, they all happen for a reason. They all happen for a purpose. God doesn't want bad things to happen, but sometimes they do happen. Maybe we make the bad choices. We make bad decisions, or someone else does, and it affects our life. But then what do we do with that? Again, I think it's like a stepping stone. Good things and bad things can happen as stepping stones to get you across the river of life. And I believe everything that happens to us is a chapter in our book of our life. I know when I've had very traumatic things happen to me, and there have been many, if you haven't listened to the first few episodes of my podcast, The Beginning, The Accident, The Aftermath, and The Conversion, I suggest you do so because there are good things that have come out of those traumas and dramas that I talk about in those episodes. You have to be willing and open to look at those things and see why God willed these things to happen. Why did I have to go through these things? Well, I think you have to be very faithful. You have to be open to his will and trust it with all your heart and soul. You have to mean it. You can't say out loud, oh, I'll do whatever you want, Lord, I trust you. But inside, you're not thinking that. Inside, God knows if you mean what you say or not. And he really does want you to trust him with everything you have and know that he has the best plan for you. And even though you, it might not be something you think is the right plan, it is the right plan. So you have to really know it and feel it. My former pastor who counseled me after my accident said that perhaps some of the bad things that had happened to me were meant to change other people's lives, not just mine. Maybe because of this accident or due to my disability, or if anything I went through actually, was meant to change or help another person's life. Sometimes God's will isn't about us. It's about how our lives will affect others. God ultimately is the one who's putting us together like a puzzle. He knows exactly which piece goes where, and he knows exactly how it's going to end up and what the end result is going to be and look like. When the father of my children and I got divorced, I couldn't imagine that that would ever happen. I had not planned on that at all. I didn't know what to do with that at first. I just wasn't expecting it, and... It really threw me off. If we were meant to stay together, I believe we would have gone to counseling and tried to work it out. But that's not what happened. He made the choice to not work it out. He made the choice to not go to counseling and see this through. I believe God wants all marriages to succeed. But if the spouses aren't invested or truly committed, it's not going to work. And that's a total human failure. Neither one of us was Catholic, so us making a true and permanent commitment to keep the marriage going just wasn't there. Now, from that situation and that marriage and that divorce, my entire life changed, and I ended up becoming Catholic. I would have never become Catholic if my ex-husband and I would have not gotten a divorce. There would have been no reason in the world for me to become Catholic. 
So God, in my opinion, took a bad situation and planned out a positive outcome. And I willingly surrendered to his will. And my entire life changed for the better. It's honestly the best thing that's ever happened to me is becoming Catholic. I love it more than anything in my life. I had a great life before I became Catholic. I loved my life before. It was what my life was meant to be at that moment, at that time, for that period of my life. I would never rip up those chapters out of my book. They are very important to who I am today. And of course, I got my beautiful children out of that marriage, and consequently my beautiful grandchildren, which I am blessed with all. So all that was obviously meant to be a part of my life, and I'm happy I had that part of my life. I would never remove those chapters. However, God knew that he wanted a different plan for me, and I willingly went along with it. I know, along with God's will, his timing is perfect. But I feel we all struggle with God's timing. (laughs) I believe he's going to give us what we ask for if he feels it's the right thing for us. But it's definitely in his timing. I know my husband and I really have a hard time with this, the timing thing. We think, Lord, you know we need your help right now. Lord, you know we're struggling financially. You know we're struggling in our family. Why can't you just fix it? You know we love you. You know we're devoted to you. What are you waiting for, Lord? He knows exactly when he wants to answer our prayers. And we just really have to sit patiently and wait. It's kind of like a child who wants something right now. Mommy and Daddy, I want ice cream now. I want it now. And Mommy and Daddy know it's not the right time. Mommy and Daddy want to give you the ice cream, but they know it's 10 minutes before dinner. It's not the right time. They will decide what's right for you and what's best for you. They want to give you the treat. They love you and want you to be happy, but they know if you eat ice cream right before dinner, You're either not going to get the nutrients from the important part of the meal because you have already indulged in the sweet treat and they're trying to keep your best interest at heart. God is the same way. He wants you to be happy. He wants to give you your heart's desire, but only if it's in your best interest and he wills it and when it's time. My husband Simon and I have had a very challenging relationship. Since the get-go, we have been met with really hard adversity. Communication issues, family issues, money issues, anger issues, misunderstandings, and serious accusations. Some things we've gone through in the 10-plus years we've been together have been very typical. Some have been more intense and extreme. Lots of people in our lives have inserted themselves in our relationship and lots of people have made small issues appear larger and more dramatic than need be. This has weighed heavily on our marriage, so much so that we separated in early 2020. I moved out, and I've actually moved eight times in the past three years, if you can believe that. We work together every day because we own a film production company together, and we're committed to each other, but it has been very strained over the past few years. I wasn't quite sure what was going to happen because we have always known that we were in a covenant with Christ and in a sacramental marriage. We knew we wanted to work this out, 
but I honestly just couldn't see how how this was going to work out. It all seemed very muddy to me. I wasn't even sure when or if we could move back in with each other. The end of the tunnel, to be honest with you, just looked very dark. I would pray to God, if you want us to stay married, Lord, please show me. Please show me a sign. I would pray this way for months. Then one day, it suddenly occurred to me, like a lightning bolt, of course God wants us to stay married. (laughs) Duh. Of course he wants us to work it out. God loves marriage. That revelation was a game changer. Due to family issues, we had thought we would be separated for most likely about five years. When Simon's daughter would leave for school, when she turned 18, we would move back in with each other. That was kind of our plan. But things shifted a bit, and she actually graduated from high school a whole year early, which changed our plans to reunite a whole year early. I believe God knew we were ready. I think God knew that it was time. He knew we'd worked out so many things and had made so many positive changes and knew that we deeply loved each other and him. And boom, it happened. So now we're back together where we belong, actually living in the same house, (laughs) which is been an adjustment and had some challenges, but we're embracing it and we just feel it's the right thing at the right time and we feel really good about it. So that being said, that's also brought on some additional things that are going on, which we're realizing that God is having us change some things about our future and our business plans, our professional plans. And we both have felt that we had some goals. You know what they say, God laughs when you make plans, but we had professional goals and none of them have really been falling into place, sadly. My husband's a filmmaker. He writes beautiful stories, creates beautiful images and projects and films, but we have been feeling like we are literally clawing our way upstream in quicksand, like I always say. And I have come to the realization that maybe we're not supposed to work in the movie business. Maybe we're not supposed to be engaged with people who don't have the same lifestyle or thoughts and feelings we do about things. And things just haven't been falling into place. And so we have been kind of trying to rally and see what God has planned for us and praying for it. And we believe that God is trying to get us to focus on different projects, downsize, have a different attitude towards our work and towards our future plans. And we're very open to those ideas because we can just sense that he knows that our hearts are with him He knows that we have quite a reverence and a devotion to him. And this lifestyle we're leading, it's not really going the direction that we feel good about in our heart and in our soul. So we're very open to what we think he wants for us. And we have some adventures ahead of us that we're very excited about. And we want to focus a lot on Fresh Catholic and drawing people to the Lord and back to church. And Simon's really throwing himself into this. And we just feel like that's where God is leading us. So 
that's what we're doing right now. So honestly, we've just realized that the more we just surrender to God, the more we take his cues, the more we realize, oh, if this isn't working out, we need to shift. We need to pivot. We need to just let go and let Jesus take the wheel, as they say. So, and it might be a big motorhome. So that might be the wheel. That's a little hint of what we might be doing. We might be taking a big road trip. That might be coming up. You never know. So anyway, it's all about what God wants and that we really are handing our lives over to him. Because when we try to be in charge, I can tell you what, it hasn't been working out that we've been trying to do what we want to do and what and we've been waiting on other people to help us or show us what we think they want us to do. It's not about that. It's about what God wants us to do. And I do feel like God wants us to simplify. God wants us to focus on drawing more people to him. And I do believe that in with every fiber of my being that he wants me to do this fresh Catholic. He wants Simon to be able to create. And we just need to just hand our lives over to him. And that's what we're doing. And we know it's all going to work out beautifully all because of God's will and timing. I will talk about this more in an upcoming episode about marriage. I think it's a very important topic. I was going to wait to talk about all this, but I think this was an important thing to bring out in this episode. Another subject that has to do with God's timing and will is when people want to start a family and they're struggling with that. I have some couples that I've been the wedding coordinator for who have really struggled with getting pregnant or not miscarrying or going to term. They're so happy when they get married. They want to start their family. And when it doesn't happen right away, they're very sad and sometimes impatient. And rightly so. They're excited and happy. They want to get their life going. But God knows just when the right baby is meant to be or not to be. Perhaps they're not meant to have children. Perhaps they're meant to adopt. Only God knows best, so they need to trust him. He will bless them with children in one way or another. Another thing about God's will and timing is being mindful about being in the right place at the right time. For example, let's say you're stuck in traffic and you're going to be late somewhere and you're becoming very irritated, impatient, angry. You're, you're having road rage. <laughs> Try to look at it in a different way. Perhaps God is allowing this to happen to help you to dodge an accident, or God wants you to arrive a little late to wherever you're going because you're going to meet somebody in the elevator that you wouldn't have met if you had been there on time. So when life gives you these little challenges or irritants, try to look at them in a positive way, that God maybe has something else he's trying to make happen that will end up benefiting you. Maybe something will start a new chapter of your book. I know surrendering to God's will is a very hard thing to do for a lot of people and very challenging, but I really do believe the more you trust, the more you believe, the more you know that he wants the best for you and he knows what's best for you, that should give you such security and such peace and calm. I know it does me. I know it helps me. When I know he's in charge, it's a relief. Trust me, it's a relief. So surrender, surrender, surrender. Give all your body, heart, and soul to the Lord's will. What do you have to lose? 
And now some fresh Catholic news. So I know I've said it before. I'm going to say it again, because what if you missed the past couple of episodes? I made it into the top 100 Catholic podcasts. I am number 11. Oh my gosh. So exciting. Thank you for everybody who has been listening and letting other people know. I just appreciate it. I just want to keep going. Let's see if I can make number one. Wouldn't that be a miracle? I'd be so excited. I could pop some champagne. We also started Fresh Catholic Comics, and I know people are really loving that, and we have some really great ideas um, that have to do with Fresh Catholic Comics coming up uh, right around holiday time, so you'll have to keep an eye out for that. I just think that they're a good little creative project for Simon and I. Simon creates them, and I do the captions. Please check out my Patreon channel and become a subscriber. I would just love it if you would do that. If you would even go check out the different levels, they're so awesome. If you go to my website, you can go to any of the pages, go to the bottom, you'll see where you can become a Patreon subscriber. It's very easy. There's all different levels, $5, $10, I think there's $25. You get different perks for different levels, so check it out. I really need your help. I also am advertising for Sock Religious. It's a wonderful sock company. So many to choose from. You will have a hard time choosing, but there's, they're all awesome. And when you order, if you go to my website, you go to the podcast tab, scroll down, you'll see the ad for it. When you order, you get 10% off your purchase and they make great gifts. So may God bless your tootsies. And as always, Please follow me on Instagram and Facebook. I do videos every day on there. Check those out. Please subscribe to my YouTube channel. Email me anytime you like, lori at freshcatholic.com. And go check out my website. Simon's been updating it. There's a lot to look at. Thank you. Love you. Bye. Thank you for joining me today. Now go out and be a bright light in someone's life. And remember... Be focused, be faithful, and be fresh. Fresh Catholic is produced, edited, and recorded at Wonder Mouse Studios in Ventura, California. That's all the time we have for Catholic Radio Indy's Lunchtime Podcast Sampler for today. You can find this show in podcast form at catholicradioindy.org, along with links to more of the programs we've shared. I'm Kent Blanford, and until next time, may God bless. You can hear the Holy Mass every day at 8 a.m. right here on Catholic Radio Indy. Did you miss something in this show or just want to hear it again? Podcasts of this and all our other great local programs are available 24-7 at catholicradioindy.org.